0: Good to be here again this week. If you were not here last week, I kicked off a series of talks on being salt and light. And it comes from a book of the Bible, Matthew chapter 5, a very famous speech that Jesus gives where he says that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And last week we looked at what does it actually mean to be salt and light. And what we found out is that it's actually quite encouraging. That when we look at what salt and light do, that salt enhances the flavor. Salt's never the star. Salt just enhances the flavors there. And light, by itself, has very little value. It lights up the things that are around us. So if you felt like you needed to be a superstar to be salt and light, you don't understand what salt and light is. Ultimately, we found out last week that what it means to be salt and light is it means that we don't have to be God ourselves. It's not our jobs to be God. It's our job to enhance and show people that God is already there. There's no place on earth you can go where God is not there. There's no person on earth that God doesn't love unconditionally and want a relationship with. Our job is simply to enhance and show what God is doing around us every day. And so this morning, we get to look at this passage again and kind of examine another aspect of what it means to be salt and light. So follow along as I read again in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says this. that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. One of the things that I find interesting about this passage is that Jesus actually spends a good amount of time on the negative. He talks about how salt losing its saltiness. He talks about lighting a lamp and then putting it under a bowl. Now, I looked up on the all-knowing Google whether salt can actually lose its saltiness. Okay, we'll do a little poll right here. How many of you think salt can in fact lose its saltiness? Any hands? A few of you. How many think salt cannot lose its saltiness? Any of the people out there? Well, according to the scientists on some webpage on Google that I found, salt cannot lose its saltiness. There's nothing you can do, actual salt, sodium chloride, no matter what you can do, it does not lose its saltiness. You can, you know, melt, you can uh, uh, put it in water and it dissolves, but it doesn't actually lose its saltiness. So there's nothing you can do to have salt actually lose its saltiness. And not only that, the idea of putting a lamp under a bowl. Now, the lamps they were using at the time were oil lamps that had a wick. And it actually, at the time, cost a decent amount of money to buy the oil. So, putting on a light was something that was kind of expensive. These days, we just kind of flip on the switch. Unless you're a dad like me who goes around the house yelling at your kids, turn off the lights! Who left, you? I'm one of those dads. I go turn off the lights everywhere and yell at my kids for leaving them on. But, unless you're like that, we just kind of flip on the switch. But lighting a lamp actually took some money. You had to pay for that oil, and so to put a bowl on it didn't make any sense. In fact, the reason I think Jesus uses these two examples is because both of them are quite absurd. It's absurd to think of salt losing its saltiness. It just doesn't happen. You can put salt on a shelf for a 100 years and come back and pull it off the shelf. It's still salty. It's absurd to think of salt losing its saltiness. It's absurd to think of lighting a light and then putting it under a bowl. It just makes no sense. That's what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is for those of us who follow Jesus who are Christians, To not actually be living as salt and light is absurd. It doesn't make any sense. For those of us who understand that there's a God who loves us, loves us unconditionally, shows us grace and mercy, for us to understand that and then not actually show that love to other people is just absurd. For those of us to understand how much Jesus cared about us, how much Jesus sacrificed for us, that he was tortured and killed for us, If we understand that and yet we don't sacrifice for other people, it's just absurd. So Jesus uses these examples to say it's absurd to think of salt, not being salty, of light being under a bowl. It's absurd to think of Christians who don't actually share this love and serve other people around them. The only problem is, way too often we actually live in the absurd. We actually live. Doing that exact thing that just doesn't make any sense. We actually live in a way that even though we kind of understand who God is, we don't show that to other people. And and so the reason Jesus says that is because he wants us to realize okay, you guys may not be doing this and it's kind of absurd, but that's how you often live. And I don't think it's because you want to. I'm not telling any of you people out here that you're like, well, I just want to be absurd. Most of us don't get up in the morning and you're like, you know what, I'd like to be really mean today. I'd like to get really mad when my spouse does something small and yell at them for really no apparent reason. I'm just gonna do it today. I'm gonna ignore my kids, ignore my family, I'm gonna be grumpy at work. Most of us don't give up, up and say that. But yet so often we live in that absurd world of not being the salt and light that God created us to be. So this morning I wanna ask us the question, why do we do that? Why do we lose our saltiness? Why do we hide our light under a bowl? And to help us understand that, I want to look at another very famous passage that Jesus shared. This is later in the same book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. Later on, Jesus actually uh, is speaking and he's more well known now. People know him a lot better. In fact, he's gotten so well known that a number of people are kind of annoyed with him. They're annoyed with the uh, popularity he's gaining, that people are following them. The people that are most annoyed with him are the religious leaders. And so they kind of want to put him in his place. They're like, okay, Jesus, you're this young, young uh, you know, shooting star. People are really excited about you. We, we need to, to kind of knock you down a few notches, help people understand you're not as great as you think you are, as they think you are. And so they're trying to challenge him. So in this passage, we're going to read, and, and some of these religious leaders are trying to challenge him. Let's read Matthew 22, verse 34. It says this Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now, I list these two groups of people Pharisees, Sadducees. These are two groups of religious leaders. You could kind of, a slightly similar, not quite exact, but slightly similar way of saying this today would be uh, that hearing that Jesus had silenced the Baptist pastors, the Catholic priests got together, all right? The, the religious leaders of the day, they're like, all right, let's, uh, all right, this guy Jesus is, is a little, you know, saying things that are, got people following him. Let's, let's kind of challenge him a little bit, put him in his place. So they come up with a question. One of the Pharisees comes up with a question. He says this. He says, one of them, meaning a Pharisee, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, the reason this Pharisee asked this question is that the Pharisees in particular had kind of narrowed down the entire Old Testament to about 613 laws, and they were really good at following them. And they said what it really meant to be a holy, righteous person, a good person, was to follow these laws as best you can. And so he's going to come to Jesus and say, hey, which one of these 613 is the best one? Because... No matter what Jesus answers, you can challenge him. There'll be a group, that'd be like, no, that, was, that can't be it, it's gotta be this one, it's gotta be this one. And, and, and so there's no way that Jesus really can win if he answers this. Let's see what Jesus answers. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what's amazing is what Jesus does is he doesn't actually answer the question they ask. He goes deeper, which is often what Jesus does. Jesus goes not so much for one of these 613 laws. He gives two laws that are sort of overarching that actually get at the heart of the matter. They get the the heart of who God is and what he's doing. And ultimately Jesus says, hey, the heart of the matter is if you love God, then you'll love other people. And Jesus knows that kind of where our heart is, where our soul is, what's most important to us What's kind of the, 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 the core of who we are? When we understand that, then what flows out of that is our actions. And so he wants to get at the heart rather than just dealing with the actions. So he answers with those two, love God, love your neighbor. And the reason I like this for this idea of being salt and light is that the idea of being salt and light is very similar to loving your neighbor. The two are very similar. Similar in the ideas of how they work in our world. And so when we look at this passage, we can often understand a little bit more about why we actually lose our salty. Why we live that kind of absurd life of not being salt and light. So let's look at some of the reasons this verse gives for why we lose our saltiness or we cover our light. Why we don't love our neighbors. One of the first reasons it says is that we don't actually love God. That's kind of a scary thing to say, but... It happens. Do you know that you can believe that there is a God without loving God? The Bible says the demons actually believe there is a God. You can believe a God exists but not actually love that God. You know that you can actually follow the laws of God without loving God. In fact, these Pharisees that he was talking to, that's one of the things they were pretty good at. They were good at following the laws without actually loving God. But you know what it looks like if you follow laws without loving the lawgiver? First, you're often judgmental because the pinnacle is following laws. And so you look at it and you're like, man, I'm good at following these laws. Whew. You're not so good at following these laws. Thankfully, I am much better than you. It's often judgmental. You're like, oh, man, I'm so good at following these laws. Look at these people that are not so good at this. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we find people like that in the church. Another way that you know that you kind of don't love the lawgiver and you're just kind of following the laws is that you often are kind of grumpy. Because if you're following laws and you don't actually love the person who made the laws or understand why they made the laws, you're kind of annoyed. Like, why do I have to do this? And why do I have to follow this rule? And why do I have to follow this rule? And so you get kind of grumpy. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you have found people at church sometimes that are judgmental and grumpy. Probably not. Not at this church, obviously. But sometimes people at church are judgmental and grumpy because they understand maybe there's loss, but they don't understand that the reason that God does everything God does is because God deeply loves us. God wants the best for every aspect of our lives. When you understand that, then you actually love God. And when you understand that God loves you, when you understand how merciful God is, how much God loves you, then it begins to flow that you love other people. God loves us even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes. God loves us. That is what leads to us loving other people. So, one of the reasons we don't show love to our neighbor is that we don't love God. Another reason from this verse that we lose our saltiness is we don't actually love ourselves. This verse says, love your neighbor as yourself. What if you don't love yourself? When you don't love yourself, you tend to be a bit insecure. When you're insecure, it's hard to love other people because you're so concerned with making sure they like you. When you're so concerned with making sure they like you, you spend a lot of time talking about yourself, making sure they understand what's going on in your life, making sure they understand all the problems you got in your life. And when you're so concerned with people understanding all the problems you have in your life and all the things maybe good and bad things about yourself, it's really hard to love other people. The other thing that happens when we don't love ourselves is sometimes we still serve other people. But we serve other people because we have this desperate need to be needed. And so I will serve you, I will do things for you, but I really need you to acknowledge that I'm doing them for you. I need you to say thank you, I need you to acknowledge all the things I'm doing for you, and if you don't, I get really mad at you. I'm serving you and I get mad at you. I don't know if you know anyone who's sure that you know all about their problems and gets mad at you when you don't acknowledge that what they help you. That's a person who doesn't love themselves. And it's hard to love the other people when we don't love ourselves. But a person who loves themselves, they have the confidence to serve other people, even if they don't get any recognition for it. A person that loves themselves is actually happy, genuinely joyful when good things happen to other people. Do you ever find inside yourself like something good happens, you're like, why them? I'm sure that hasn't ever happened to you. It's hard to love other people when we don't actually love ourselves. A person who loves themselves can be secure enough in who they are. That even when they don't get any recognition, they'll serve other people. They'll love other people. Thanks, man. So part of the reasons we don't love our neighbors, that we lose our saltiness is we don't love God, we don't love ourselves. Another reason we lose our saltiness is because we fear rejection rather than trust God. A Couple months ago, I read a book, and the book had a very powerful, profound, but unbelievably simple premise. The premise of the book, the book's called The Art of Neighboring, and the premise of the book was what if we took Jesus' words to love our neighbor literally? Like what if we actually loved our actual neighbors, like the people that live in the houses and the apartments around us? What if we just loved them? Let's start right there. And we can love the whole world too. Let's do, but what if we started in our actual neighborhood? A whole book about this. Sounds like, how do you to write a whole book about it? It's a very interesting book. And, and so I was reading this book, and as I was reading this, uh, I actually was driving, well, not while I was reading it, I was driving, but... The same general time frame. I was reading the book and then driving later on. And I was driving into my neighborhood. Happened to be with my family. My wife and, and kids we were driving in, and we were coming back from a family event and had to get home and had to kind of change some things out and get off to another family event. That's the way things happen in our house. Zipping in and out of my neighborhood a lot. We're coming into the neighborhood and we drive by, and there's a neighbor who's cutting down a tree, decent-sized tree, about this big, with a little tiny handsaw. It's an older guy too, and he's cutting it down. And my wife says we should stop and help. Now. By the time I understood what she said and kind of comprehended what was going on, we were past the house already and about to go into our driveway. So in my mind, I'm going, well, we're already here. Uh, we're not have time. He's way back, a whole block away. Uh, he probably doesn't need the help. Looked like he was doing okay. Uh, maybe we don't need to, but thankfully she's more loving and kind. So we turn around and we go back and help. Thankfully, also, I have a teenage son, so I told my teenage son, hop out, go help this guy cut down the tree. <laughs> That's true, I did, actually. And so he cut down the tree, and, and, and we went home. And, and, I, and I reflected, and I realized, you know, there were some kind of practical reasons why I didn't want to turn around. But the biggest reason I didn't want to turn around and go help is that I thought it might be weird to stop and just jump out of a car and help cut down a tree. That's not what you do in my neighborhood. In my neighborhood, you drive by, you get a little wave, a little head nod. Maybe your neighborhood's more friendly than mine, but that's what you do. You don't actually jump out of your car and offer to help people. You just don't do that. In fact, when we did, the people protested, no, we don't need any help. We don't need help. They were actually quite thankful, you know, after we actually helped them. But you, you don't do that. There was this fear of this sort of awkwardness. I realized, you know, what's God thinking when he looks down at that? He's looking down at me and going, Josh, your fear of an awkward, weird conversation is causing you to lose your saltiness. Like, that's it. That was it. That was what was causing me to potentially lose my saltiness and not stop and help. We often lose our saltiness because of fear. One of the other reasons we lose our saltiness is because we miss opportunities. I almost miss that opportunity. Even after it was pointed out to me, part of me wanted to miss that opportunity. We often miss, I believe, that every single day, God has opportunities for us to be salt and light. Every day, everywhere we go, God has opportunities. Whether it's in our neighborhood, at our workplace, in our families, God says, hey, here's an opportunity for you to be salt and light. So the next Saturday, We went to, uh, Home Depot has this thing where you can build crafts with your kids. And so we went to that and uh, we happened to go to that. My wife and I were with our two youngest kids and we sit down at the table and they give us this little uh, uh, kit to make a birdhouse. and it's got some wood and some hammer and some uh, screws and you kinda nail it together. And so I'm sitting down helping my daughter do this and the whole time I'm doing this, I'm getting very distracted because the family across the table is completely annoying. It's a mom and three sons and they, they didn't look at the directions whatsoever. I mean, they just like pulled out these pieces and started to hammer them together like they had no idea what they were doing. They were all turned the wrong way. And I'm I'm literally having a hard time concentrating on my own daughter's work because it's so annoying to me how bad they are at putting together a birdhouse. And then I kind of realized, oh, maybe, maybe this is one of those opportunities. But still in my head, I go, well, is it going to be weird to go to this woman, will she actually be offended that I'm like, you're doing horrible at this, can I help you? (laughs) Thankfully I didn't say it that way. But I did go across the table after the finish, hey, can we help? And she was grateful. She said yes. And so I had to take apart what they had done because it was really bad. And then help these two boys. My wife helped the other son actually put together these birdhouses to actually make them so they could go home. And, and, and I realized, you know what, it was very easy to miss that opportunity as well. And there was a fear inside of me. There was a fear of, again, just being, is this gonna be awkward? Is this gonna be weird to talk to this lady, to offer, to help this person? I think God gives us opportunities every day where we can be salt and light. And too often we live in the absurd world of losing our saltiness, of putting a bowl over our light. So if that's how we lose it, how do we actually remain salty? How do we actually remain bright? Well, the good news is it's not necessarily difficult. We just have to be intentional and be aware of what we're doing. One of the ways that we overcome this idea of not loving God, the main way we overcome not actually loving God is through what we call worship. Because worship is simply acknowledging who God is, worship is understanding who God is and what He's done for us, and then celebrating it. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. When we come in here, we sing these beautiful songs about who God is, about what God has done. For thousands and thousands of years, people have used music to worship because it's a great way to remind ourselves, yeah, this is who God is. What I always say about, often say about worship is it kind of changes my mindset. It does it for you too, whether you notice it or not, you come in here and you sit down and you listen to these songs and you're like, hey, my mindset shifted a little bit. I actually believe that God loves me a little bit more than I did when I walk in, why? Because I spent some time worshiping. Now we can do that at home as well, it doesn't have to be through music, can be different ways, but any way that we kind of remind ourselves who God is and what God has done for us, that's worship. And as we do that, we begin to love God more, to understand that, and then the love of other people will flow from that. How do we overcome this, this kind of insecurity in ourselves? Actually. One of the things Jeremy mentioned, this, these living free groups, those are great ways to help us kind of recover from some of the things that maybe we've done or that have been done to us that, help us that hinder us from loving ourselves. We also need to be praying for ourselves, for other people. The more we put the focus on helping those outside ourselves sometimes, the more we're able to love ourselves as well. How do we overcome the fear? Well, it's really trust trust that God's in the situation. Oftentimes, the reason we're not salt and light is we believe we have to be God. And it's like, well, I have to be God in this situation? No, I can trust that God's there, that God's already working. That all I have to do is simply kind of step out in faith and just be willing to love and serve. Even if it be a little awkward, even if it be a little weird, trust that God's already working and overcome that kind of inside something about us that keeps us from being that salt and light. And then finally, we, just, we need to look we need to act. In some ways, it's that simple. It's to actually look, to be observing, to go around ourselves and understand. Be a little bit more intentional about where we walk, about what we do. Now I wanna do something, an exercise to help you guys do this. Uh, I mentioned that book, The Art of Neighboring. They actually have this little grid. Many of you should have gotten this one per family as you came in. If not, you can get one when you leave. But it's a very simple little magnet you can put on this in your fridge at home. It's got a little yellow house in the middle. It's got empty boxes around it. And here's, here's what this is. This is a way to encourage us to actually love our neighbors, like our actual neighbors who live right next to us. The suggestion is you take this and this is your house and to think about your eight neighbors that are closest to you, the eight people who actually live the closest to you and then ask yourselves, what do you know about the people? Do you know their name? Do you know other information like maybe their hobbies or their work or family or anything like that? And then do you know what you could be praying for these families for. And if not, well, then you just pray for them. But you can actually write this on there if you want to keep this and to to, to encourage you to actually love your actual neighbors. Now, this is also called in the book the uh, grid of shame because they have found that less than 10% of people know the names of their eight closest neighbors. Less than 3% of the people actually know information about all eight of those neighbors. And so before I sent you out with the grid of shame, I thought, well, I should probably do this to myself. We'll check out this video. Well, welcome to my neighborhood. I'm here with my wife, Maria, our dog, Lola. And I didn't want to ask you to do something that we hadn't done. So we have our who's my neighbor card. And uh, why don't you come see how we do? So we live up this shared driveway there. We have neighbors right next to our house. We know them very well. Uh, we get together with them. Our kids play together. And we have their cell phone numbers, call them every so often. So that first house is pretty good. Let's see how we do up the street. All right, we're at the next house. Uh, I don't remember their first names. I know their last name. Helene and Don. Helene and Don. All right, I remember their dog's name. Their dog's named Zoe, because that's our daughter's name. Unfortunately, I don't remember their first names. Uh, We got the next house. I know it's an older couple. It's Robert and his wife. Robert and his wife. I didn't know their names at all. All right, let's keep going. Moving on. I know the next house is an older gentleman. He's got mobility issues, goes to the senior center. We've trick-or-treated his house, and his name is? Jim. Jim. That's right. You've served him lunch at the senior center. Good job. Good job. Next house, uh, older couple. I know the last name. Our sons worked for them, but first names? Tom and Barb. Tom and Barb. You're doing a good job. Uh, I'm not doing so well. Let's keep going. I got this one. Gary and Margo, they go to the church. They're probably watching this right now. Gary and Margo, this is your house. All right, last house on our street. I think he used to be a doctor. Principal. Principal, that's what I was thinking, right? And his name is? Richard. Richard, right, exactly what I was thinking. Well, you did very well. Uh, I definitely have some work to do. So thankfully, my wife is much more loving, uh, actually knows our neighbors and uh, cares for them. And it's really kind of a challenge to all of us. My challenge to you this week is that you would go out and look for how you can be salt and light every single day, wherever you are, but especially in your neighborhood. Think about what it would look like if we literally loved our neighbors. We're gonna sing one last song, and as we sing this song, it's called Build My Life, and it's it's a song that talks about how we can build our lives upon the love that God has for us. It says, put my trust in your love. And the entire idea behind this week is when we begin to love God, then we can love our neighbors. When we begin to love God, understand his love for us, understand that he loves us we can love ourselves it enables us to love our neighbors we want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like jesus through these please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church know that you can subscribe to our podcast on itunes and also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.